0: If you're like me, you've learned a lot about virus in these recent months. I've learned that washing our hands with soap is one of the most effective ways of killing the virus because the soap molecules, with water molecules, they bind uh, with the cell membranes of the virus and they pull it apart, They they destroy it. But it takes about 20 seconds for this chemical reaction to happen, which is why you should say the Lord's Prayer as you wash your hands. It takes about 20 seconds to do that. The ancient people didn't exactly know what caused illness, but they knew that it could spread from one person to another. And so they did what we are doing right now. They practiced social distancing. People who lived in the city went out into the countryside. People who were known to have the disease were isolated. In fact, we can see this in Leviticus chapter 13 in the Bible when it talks about leprosy. When someone is found to be leprous, their clothes were collected and they were burnt. And they were isolated. They were isolated and banished away from the city. They weren't supposed to come in. If they ever did, they were supposed to say, unclean, unclean, in a loud voice so that they could warn others. It's for all these reasons, the Bible uses sickness as a metaphor for sin. For example, Jesus says he's come to save the sick, the sinners, not the righteous. The word that's used to save in Greek is the same word as to heal. To heal, to save, it's the same word. And you can see why. Just as the pandemic spread from patient zero to all over the world, sin spread from patient zero to all over the world. It started out with the lie in the Garden of Eden which led to Adam and Eve distrusting God and disobeying Him, which led to their shame, which led to them blaming each other and blaming God, which led to their banishment and curses. And by chapter 4, there's murder. And away from God, the world grew sicker and sicker, isolated away from Him. You know that on Good Friday, Jesus died for our sins. But John presents this uh, in a unique way. John's the only one that has this little line that Jesus says on the cross, I am thirsty. He's the only one that records the soldiers spearing Jesus' side the only one that records what uh, came out of it. There was a sudden flow of blood and water. Blood, you would expect, but why water? But in order to understand, we need to understand the entire story of the Bible. Another thing that you might have learned in this epidemic is how copper and virus cannot coexist together. When virus gets sneezed onto dry copper, copper then releases these ions that attack the membranes of the virus. And it kills it. You see, copper and virus cannot coexist together. And so it is with God and sin. And that's what it means for God to be holy. God cannot be contaminated by sin and death. When he comes in contact with sin and death, he destroys it. And that's why Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, from his presence away, isolated from him. But Adam and Eve isolated Away from God, the world away from God grew sicker and sicker. But if you know the Bible's story, the rest of the Bible is about how God loves us, how God longs to forgive us, how God wants to be with us, to heal us. And that's why the temple is such a big part of the Bible's story. Because, you see, the temple is the place... Where people's sins can be forgiven as they bring their sacrifices to God. This is the place where God can meet with people. But if you know anything about the temple itself, God is still isolated away from people, isn't He? Because He's isolated in His Holy of Holies. People couldn't walk in and out of God's presence. In fact, there was only one person once a year who could go in to the Holy of Holies. And that's after all the rituals of washing themselves, offering the sacrifices, putting on the right clothing. The high priest had to lay his hand upon a goat, transferring the sins of the people and banish that goat out into the desert, symbolizing their banishment because of their sins. And when they went in, they tied this belt around their waist and bells around their ankles, just in case if they went into the Holy of Holies and met God, but then they died. The rope was there so they could drag him out from the Holy of Holies. You see, God was with them, but not directly, not fully. This is where Ezekiel's vision is so important and so amazing, because God gives Ezekiel's vision when the temple will function differently. Let me read you a piece from it. This is Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from the threshold of the temple toward the east. This water is just ankle deep at first, but it grows deeper and deeper and deeper until it becomes a mighty river. And everything it touches, life then springs forth from it. And when it touches the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is made fresh. There's nothing in there before. Now it's teeming with life, it's teeming with big fish. This is verse 12 and how the vision ends. The fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because of the water from the sanctuary that flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Before, nothing could go in to the temple. But now something is flowing out from the temple and it heals the world. It reverses the curse of death and it transforms the nations. That's the vision that Ezekiel gives. Ezekiel actually couldn't understand it. And I don't know if how Jewish people understand it now because this only makes sense with Jesus and John has been hinting at it this entire time John in chapter 2 records Jesus going into the temple and remember what he says he clears the temple and he says destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days did you hear that? Because Jesus calls himself the temple. And not only that, a few chapters later in John chapter 4, he meets the Samaritan woman by this well. The Samaritan woman is sick spiritually. She is sinful. She has had five husbands, and now she's living with her boyfriend. She's thirsty. She longs to meet God. And this is what Jesus says to this woman. Jesus says to her, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If she drinks from Jesus, she will be satisfied. Not just for that instance, but for the rest of our life and for eternity. And a few chapters later in John chapter 7, this is what Jesus said. He goes into the temple on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacle. He stands in front of the temple gates. And he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You see, before he said he was the temple. But now he is the river of life that flows from the temple. And people should come to drink from him. And if you still don't believe me, John has written another book, Book of Revelation. And that book ends like this. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. It's Ezekiel's vision all over again. But look where the river is flowing out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flows from Jesus. And that river brings life to the world. It reverses the sin and a curse of sin and death. And it brings healing to the nations. It's taken us a while to get here, but I hope you can understand why now it's so significant that Jesus says, I am thirsty on the cross. He's the living water. He's the water that the whole world is supposed to drink from. He says he is thirsty. why is he thirsty? He's literally being drained out. As the soldiers came and speared his side, water and the blood came out. You see, he's the temple now flowing with the river of life. In order for us to have that life, Jesus had to die for our sins. He had to take on the curse of death. He had to be separated away from God. He had to be literally poured out so that we can drink from him. He became thirsty so that we could have life. These days, we're asked to self-isolate because we're afraid that we might have the virus and we might spread it to other people. But 2,000 years ago, God came out of his self-isolation. He came down to be with us without any masks, without any gloves or any protective gear. He came to be with us, and he was among us touching the unclean. He touched the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He touched us. He made us clean. But he was contaminated. He was infected. He did it voluntarily. He took upon himself the sins of the world. He took upon himself God's wrath. He died in our place so that we could have life. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up again in three days. Well, on the third day, he did. He rose again. And here's the thing. Jesus' new and resurrected body is impervious to diseases. It's impervious to death. And that's the body that we will all receive because of Jesus. And not only that, the whole world will be recreated the whole world will be healed in a way that is befitting of our new and glorious bodies. So if you're not yet a Christian, come to Jesus, receive him as your Lord and Savior, taste the goodness of life that Jesus gives you. And if you are a Christian, go to him, don't forget to go to him in the midst of all this grief in the midst of self-isolation, in the midst of death toll rising. And wait patiently. Because as surely as the day of resurrection, that resurrection Sunday came for Jesus, the day of our resurrection is coming. The day of the healing of the nations, the renewal of the world is coming. If you don't believe me, look to the empty tomb.